Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Adelberg. And welcome to the back of the range. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 309. Another Elite Amateur Golf Series tournament in the books, which means another special guest here at the back of the range. Nick Dunlap captured the 61st edition of the Northeast Amateur last week with a birdie on the 72nd hole of the championship. An incredible week at Wanamoisa Country Club just outside of Providence, Rhode Island. This was my second year at the Northeast Dam. It is an incredible tournament with its own unique vibe, and I'm already looking forward to returning next year. Going to jump into this episode rather quickly since we have a lot to cover. Another reminder though that I am handling all of the social media content for the Elite Amateur Golf Series, so please remember to follow along on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, for all of the information about what is happening within the series and in the Elite Amateur Cup standings, head over to EliteAmateurGolfSeries.org and also head over to TheBackOfTheRange.com. I've already made my way from Rhode Island down to Pinehurst, North Carolina for the 123rd North and South Amateur. This is the third tournament in the Elite Amateur Golf Series. Last year, Luke Clanton picked up the win against Tommy Morrison in the championship match. Both are in the field this year again, and they are joined by the likes of Maxwell Moldovan, Preston Summerhays, the the Ford brothers, and many of the top-ranked amateurs in the country. Nick Dunlap is here as well, looking to recapture some of the Pinehurst magic that he found here in 2021 when he captured the U.S. Junior at Country Club of North Carolina just up the road. Before turning our attention to the North and South Amateur, I was able to have a chat with Bob Ward, the Executive Director of the Rhode Island Golf Association. The Northeast Amateur Week is huge for the Rhode Island Golf Association, and their involvement has been integral to the tournament's success. Bob, thanks for joining me. How are you, sir? I'm doing great, Ben. Thanks for having me on, my friend. You got it. We are finally trying to get recovered. Uh, I've moved on down the road to North Carolina at Pinehurst. You are... uh, Still up in the the Rhode Island area, kind of resting and recovering. Uh, is everything all buttoned up for the Northeast Dam? Are we done for the year? Everything is done, my friend. We, um, you know, yesterday was a day of uh, relaxation. Just kind of hung out in the backyard for most of the afternoon, uh, and then eight o'clock this morning we were back at Wanamoisa, and uh, you know, took down all the sponsor signs, took down the fence around the putting green, the the uh, country flags, and buttoned up a few other things. Uh, you know, brought the uh, cars back to a herd Chevrolet who donates two cars for us for the week. Nice. And, um, and now we're just going to hang out a little bit and, and get back to our IGA business starting tomorrow morning. You got a busy summer. Talk to me about what, uh, what goes on in a typical summer for you and your, uh, your great team at the Rhode Island golf association. Yeah. So it is a very busy summer. It's, um, you know, it's just part of the business, you know, usually, you know, we, we get going uh, right around the 1st of May, and we go about four or five straight weeks in early May with some of our early events, uh, some of our play days and our women's events. Um, and and then really, you know, leading up to the Northeast Amateur, we have a couple of state amateur qualifiers. But, you know, two weeks before the Northeast Amateur, I'm 
100% focused on the northeast. Um, and then once the northeast ends, um, you know, we, we always try to take this week off if we possibly can. And then the state amateur is, the you know, the second week of July. The New England amateur is the week after that. Um, then we have our stroke play championship. We have our Rhode Island Open, which is for the professionals. Then we have the junior amateur, and then we have the New, Eng New England juniors. So we go six straight weeks uh, starting the state amateur week, which is the second week of July. Then we get a week off, um, uh, third week of August, and then we go five weeks in September and kind of finalize things, you know, early October. So, um, yeah, I don't see much of my family or my wife uh, once May, once uh, May 1st kicks in. Wow. Yeah, that's a busy, busy run, much much like uh, just about every state golf association throughout the country. They go, uh, you go pretty hard and with all junior events and senior and amateur and pro, and there's, there's a lot going on. What was... Um, and, and, you know, before I ask you what your thoughts on this, this year's new Northeast amateur with, uh, obviously Dunlap picking up the win with a birdie on 18, um, describe the relationship between Rhode Island golf association and the Northeast amateur. What it is it, what is it that, uh, the association does, uh, within the Northeast am? So it's, a, it's a very unique, um, relationship. It's something that's happened this is the 61st Northeast Amateur, and the Rhode Island Golf Association has been involved in every one of them. Um, and, and our job is really to run the competition. Um, you know, I, I really don't have anything to do with inviting people. Um, I am on the committee and, uh, you know, am very involved in, you know, the build-out and things like that, getting getting ready, leading up to the event. But really... You know, I spend a lot of time at Wanamoisit two, three weeks previous putting, you know, putting early in the morning when the greens are just getting cut and rolled and 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 then putting later at night um, a few hours before it gets dark just to dial whole locations in and and get things ready and make sure things are ideal. So when the kids get here and, and they tee it up, you know, it's listen, it's very challenging, but it's fair. And and that's what we're trying to accomplish at the Northeast Amateur. When was your first Northeast? I mean, I, I, I'm going to go ahead and assume, Bob, that you have not been at all 61 of them. Um, so so let's just go throw that out the window. But give me, what are your earliest memories of the Northeast Dam? Yeah, so so my first Northeast Dam working um, was 2000, and Luke Donald um, ended up winning. And if my memory is still good, um, he was in a playoff with Eric Compton. Oh, wow. Um, and, and yep, and Luke, um, Luke ended up winning that playoff, and then we all know the story of Eric Compton, which is a wonderful, wonderful story yeah. with the success that he has has had in his life, not only on the course but off the golf course, uh, battling some health issues for for many, many years. Um, but that's my that was my first Northeast Amateur, um, you know. And back then there was some great young players that you look back now and you say, wow, those kids played at Wanamoisit and had successful careers, you know, and Luke Donald was one of those guys. And, you know, and then you just go year after year, you know, Dustin Johnson won and, and Anthony Kim, when Anthony Kim was at the Northeast Amateur, like he was the next great, you know, kid that was going to come out of the amateur ranks and, and tear it up on the PGA tour. And it goes on and on. And, you know, a good story, Ben, that's not that far removed is Colin Morikawa won, 
probably four or five years ago. And, you know, I was at a PGA Tour event as a spectator one day with my Northeast Amateur hat on. And, you know, he came right over and said hello to me. So, you know, aside from running the competition, it's these great relationships that you form with, with these uh, kids and players. Um, and, and as you know, I, I, I am fortunate enough to go down to the Terracotta and help Denny Glass run the Terracotta. So I meet a lot of these kids when they're 15, 16, 17 years old. And then that translates over to when they come up for the Northeast Amateur during their college years. And, you know, it's nice to bump into one of these kids at a PGA Tour event and, and they give you a little nod or they come over and shake your hand and say thank you. Uh, you know, that, that's what makes every, all that hard work you do, uh, you know, makes you feel good when you see something like that happen. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up the terracotta. That's, uh, you know, I guess you can say uh, they're, they're kind of, those two tournaments are related because Denny Glass was chairman of the Northeast. Now he's uh, down down south at Naples, Florida, handling the terracotta. Those two uh, tournaments are are very much so related to each other. So, uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the terracotta. And, you know, speaking of that tournament or other tournaments, whether, you know, Sunny Hannah that I was just at or, um, you know, all these different invitations, Jones Cup, uh, they're all run great. They're all at fantastic golf courses, whether it's Ocean Forest, Naples National, Wanamoisa. We can go down the list of all these epic amateur tournaments. But in your eyes, what seems to set the Northeast Amateur apart as far as the the vibe that is running throughout the club, which is, you know, want to moist it. It's something I notice, and it's kind of hard to put into words. Can you describe what makes the Northeast so special? Well, I think, Ben, there's, a, there's really a few things. I think, you know, back in the, I'm going to say it was the mid, mid-70s mid or so, we were very fortunate that Ben Crenshaw came and played in the Northeast Amateur and that really set the Northeast Amateur off into always bringing in the top-level amateur and college players. And, you know, back even back in the early 2000s, we had many more mid-am and some of the best senior players. I mean, our current Walker Cup captain, Mike McCoy, has played in the Northeast Amateur probably 10 times, maybe even more than that. Um, but I think when Ben Crenshaw really played in the tournament and then talked about Juan Moisset a little bit when he played professionally, that really set the Northeast Amateur on a path where it is right now. And and to be honest with you, you know, I think it's there, there are a few that play at the same golf course every year, but Juan Moisset is, is the host club every single year. Um, we try to set the golf course up in a way where we're preparing kids to play professionally. I mean, we ask them to wear pants. Um, we grow the rough up U S open height. Um, the green speeds are at a level similar to the PGA tour, even a little slicker than the PGA tour uh, sure. every single day. And, you know, that level of competition, I think, you know, has spread around the amateur ranks and a lot of these kids, talk when they're, you know, on the putting green, on driving ranges, week by week, wherever they meet, wherever they may be, whether it's college events or or some of these other invitationals. And I think that has helped us greatly. Um, but I think the other piece of the Northeast Amateur that really sets us apart from others is our members really get involved in the event. I mean, I, I think half the field was housed by members, um, and most of the members live in the general 
neighborhood of the club. Um, you know, it's walking distance to the golf course. And our members really get locked in with these kids and they develop relationships and stay with the same. Some kids stay with the same families two, three or four years. And, and you know, these relationships go on. You know, as you heard when when Jay Siegel was speaking on, uh, you know, Tuesday night at our opening dinner, you know, he still has a, a relationship with um, with Mr. Lunny and that relationship is 50 years now. So, you know, um, I'm not sure if some of that transfers other to these other other invitational events. But, you know, those are things that really, I think, make the Northeast Amateur what it is. It's it's a combination of of the great golf course, uh, the way it's set up, and then also our members um, interacting with these kids that really make it something special. Yeah, no, it's very well said. I 100% agree with everything there. Uh, the, the vibe, the, the membership, I've always felt that if you got the membership on your side for one of these tournaments, really the world is your oyster. You can accomplish anything you want to. I'll let you right. get out of here and get back to resting and recovering for uh, before you get to the next uh the next edition of, of what the, the RIGA has in store for the best amateurs in your state. Um, quickly, I mean, two tournaments in at the Elite Amateur Golf Series, and we got the North North and South coming up. Nick Dunlap won up there. He's coming down here to uh, try and capture another massive title here in, at Pinehurst. He's uh, won the 2021 U.S. Junior at the Country Club of North Carolina, so he's in very familiar territory. A um, lot of implication for Elite Amateur Golf Series. What do you see? What did you see out of Nick Dunlap that impressed you? And how might uh, how might that success uh, travel down here to Pinehurst? Well, I'll say this, Ben. I think you know, and, and a lot of people don't realize this. I was extremely impressed with him being able to compete for four rounds. You know, you need to understand that he played in the U.S. Open the week before. Um, so he flew probably from Alabama out to Los Angeles, competed in the U.S. Open, which is pretty special for a young kid. Um, and then he actually, you know, said, hey, I signed up for the Northeast Amateur. I am going to fly across the entire country and go to Wanamoisa and compete in the Northeast Amateur. And I think, you know, it took him a day or two to get comfortable and and probably catch up a little jet lag or something. And, you know, what he did on, on Friday and Saturday was pretty impressive. Um, not pretty impressive. It was very impressive. Yeah, and 63, then I think, 66. Yeah, uh, uh, you're, you're right. And then, you know, you know, I was lucky enough to be out there watching the last five or six holes. And I think he just got himself into a very comfortable groove. And I don't want to say he didn't play aggressive, but, he was very calm, and I think, you know, Caleb, who is, um, you know, I've become pretty good friends with Caleb. He won the Terracotta two times, and, and you know, I don't want to say I was pulling for Caleb, but it's nice to see someone, you know, transition from the Terracotta up to the Northeast Amateur and be a champion of both. But I think, you know, Caleb hit a couple of shots that, you know, what happened on 14 to him, you know, hitting it into the penalty area, not being able to find the golf ball and, and making a making a bogey there and you know and then he made a tremendous par on number fifteen um, you know to keep things um, you know they they were uh, tied at that point in time but I I think Nick just kind of sat back and said hey you know this you know I don't think when they were on the eleventh tee Nick even thought that he had a chance to win 
But when they were on the 16th tee, I think he thought he had a chance to win, and he just stayed in his element. He didn't get too excited, just kind of went through his normal routine. And, you know, for him to birdie a 460-yard 18th hole or 72nd hole, however you would want to call it, to a hole location that, you know, he basically hit a 175 or 80-yard shot into an area that's about a 10-foot diameter. Yep. And if the ball goes over the green, you know, he would probably tell you man-to-man that he's making bogey. Yeah. Uh, there's no way of getting the ball up and down. And he hit a tremendous shot. And when the ball takes off, when he made his swing, I was like, ooh, please don't go over the green <laughs> or he's in trouble. But he hit a fantastic shot. And, you know, Caleb just pulled his ball a little bit. Um, you know, and I truly believe that if if Nick didn't make that birdie putt, Caleb would have absolutely made his pop putt. You know, the wind was taken out of his sails when that birdie putt went in. And, you know, he really didn't. I mean, even though he looked at the putt a little bit, you know, he would have really studied that putt a little more if it meant, um, you know, going into a playoff. So I think Nick just kind of stayed in his element and and, and kind of let the wind come to him and, and played fantastic golf coming down the stretch. Well, it will be um, interesting to see what happens when he comes back next year to defend. Uh, man, you might, uh, you never know. You could have two years of, uh, or four years and two champions. Dylan Minetti went back to back. Maybe Dunlap goes back to back. We'll have to wait and see what happens uh, next June. But um, thank you for all your hospitality. I know the the long list of people involved behind the scenes at uh, Wanamoisit is uh, it's a lengthy list. So uh, your entire team, the entire team, Juan Moisid, just a fantastic week. And I uh, look forward to seeing you. Well, I don't need to wait to see you at Juan uh, Moisid next year. I'll see you at Terracotta in April. All right, Ben. You got it, my friend. Good to see you this week. Thank you to everyone at the Northeast Amateur. Again, I had an absolute blast that week. Bob is truly one of the good guys in the world of amateur golf. Uh, cannot wait to see him again at the Terracotta next April. Let's jump into my conversation with the new Northeast Amateur Champion, Nick Dunlap. Welcome to the back of the range. How are you? Thank you. Yeah, glad to be here. The the span of, of your college career with winning the U.S. Junior and then off to the races of freshman season probably put a uh, – um, that was a hurdle to get you onto the back of the range because you were off to the races with college golf. So I'm glad we finally got to do this. You and I were probably the last two people to leave Wanamoisit. I would say so. Yeah. I would say so. Yeah. I mean, six o'clock, seven o'clock, maybe. We both, I think we're texting. There's no reason for us to be texting at four in the morning. Four thirty in the morning. Yeah. But we're both up. So what was, what was your travel like to get from Wanamoisit, which is Providence, Rhode Island, not exactly the easiest uh, international airport hub in the world. No. And we're both here at Pinehurst getting ready for North and South. So for people that don't quite understand what kind of travel headaches come with a busy summer amateur schedule we're both well versed in that but yeah. i will give you the floor go ahead yes yeah, so actually mine was a little uh so i was uh uh may, may have celebrated a little bit uh the night the night before there's nothing wrong with that um so i had a i think i was on the six ten flight i want to say out of providence and i was going to charlotte um and i was driving actually ben tuthill's car for the week Yes, yeah, so the tournament chairman at Wanamoisit for the Northeast Dam. I remember that. I'm glad you brought that up. So, so yeah, I was driving his car, so I had to figure out a way 
I, you know, I tried to early book the Uber for the next morning at 4.45 or however early that was. Um, woke up 4.20. Nobody accepted my Uber. So I'm like, all right. So I tried to do it a couple more times. Like, you know, try to find another Uber. Got nothing. Went to the front desk. Couldn't. There was like, hey, can I get a cab? Nothing. Like, all right. Well, do I just like can't walk? So like I actually dropped his car off the airport, hid the keys in this little box um, at the, at the little uh, parking garage and then ran, I think I was the last person on the flight actually. So a little bit of a headache that morning, but, um, on that of about three and a half hours worth of sleep. That's, uh, that's yeah. pretty much on brand. Yeah. So yeah. yeah, using the tournament chairman's car for the week, have to leave it at the airport, hide the keys somewhere, hide the keys and just, yeah, that's. That's yeah. probably completely on brand for what we deal with here on the road. I've heard stories of, I think it was uh, Gustav Fremo from Texas uh, Christian. I can't remember what he said, but I think it, he flew and then rode from Charlotte here, and then his clubs were not coming with him. Someone had his clubs. It's literally just, it's an all-hands-on-deck with parents and yeah. friends and coaches and just just kind of get us all here in some manner. Yeah. But honestly, it's, it's good for me. I, I've been traveling by myself for, for a little while now. Um, and it's good for me to kind of be thrown in those situations and figure them out, um, by myself. Um, and obviously growing up and have my parents, they would always do that for me. And, you know, I'm just kind of there, like I'm sleeping or whatever. Yeah. Um, and for me to, to, to learn how to do that by myself now, I think, um, in the future will definitely pay, pay dividends. That is another thing that you brought up that I'm really happy you did because, what I've seen this summer, you know, I see parents all the time at the college tournaments. And yeah. I think in that respect, they're just there. It's almost like they're just there as fans. Hey, yeah. they, they throw the Alabama hat on, they throw the shirt on and, you know, go Nick. And I know your mom's at, at tournaments a lot. And obviously I see that. But in the summer, I kind of think about, okay, this is a time that the parents, you know, obviously the kid's 17 years old, 16, sure. But I kind of feel like this is a time in the summer where, yeah, cut the kid loose and have him or her figure out how to get from point A to point B when mm-hmm. things go sideways. Because yep. obviously in the world we live in with travel, it's not easy, but mm-hmm. you got to work the problem. Yep. And, and there's some events, I think, um, last year, two years ago, I, I was staying in New York by myself. Yeah. Had, didn't have a car, had to Uber. You've got to, you know, I'm Ubering for an 8 a.m. tea time, trying to find an Uber at 545 in case somebody doesn't get it or you've got to plan ahead. Um, so yeah, yeah, like you said, just trying to learn how to do that. Um, for you know, in the future for professional golf, you already have a little bit of a head start on that. I uh, I never rely on Ubers. I will I will spend I the extra money on the rental car, drop it off. I'm like I always need to have my wheels. So we'll unpack that later. Um, before you became the adult you are right now, let's talk about junior golf. Growing yep. up in uh, Northport, Alabama, playing junior golf in that great state of golf association. I have to. I'm contractually. Um, uh, required to say that because we know who is what the oh, top. Yeah. We know the top guy to lead oh, yeah. our golf series, Andy Priest. So we got we have to. All kidding aside, it's a great state association. Um, talk to me about your early junior golf and getting into the competitive side of golf in Alabama. Yeah, uh, Andy, we go way back, way, way, way back. Um, yeah, I grew up in Birmingham. Um, so I grew up playing those AGAs. Um, through most of my, um, elementary school, middle school, high school years. Um, and they had always kind of taken care of me. They're, they're super, really fun events to play. Um, and I felt like, um, the majority of them were fairly close to me, which helped also. They were kind of convenient. Actually, I qualified for the, 
I want to say the state am when I was like 12 or 13 at, at Benbrook, which was pretty cool. Awesome. Um, and, uh, and actually I, I played well, but, um, yeah, just to see that. And uh, my parents, we, they moved me to, to Greenville, South Carolina, uh, which is a little bit of a struggle for, um, we moved my freshman year and my sophomore year. So right before COVID and then right during COVID, we moved back to Huntsville, um, um, which right on, right on the border from Alabama and Tennessee. Um, and it was, it was cool to, um, to graduate there and, and finish off my high school years with, um, with the AGA and, and Mr. Priest and, um, and to play, you know, the end of my, my high school golf there. Yeah. It's a, it's one of those state associations that, um, just, you know, so many opportunities to, to play competitively, learn from yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the kids that are older than you. Um, there's way, I mean, I apologize, but there's way too many junior golf accolades uh, attached to your name for us to go through them all. But I mean, state, uh, you know, state junior title in, in 2018, you hung a 59 two years previously. Uh, yeah, there's a lot going on here. And then obviously up in South Carolina, winning the Dustin Johnson and Myrtle beach. So you are coming in, I believe you're the top junior player of your class. So you're really at the top of that level. Um, these are great state accomplishments, but when does the reality sink in that you're going to compete on a national level. And then of course we talk, we can talk about your U S junior title at, uh, at CCNC right around the corner. You know, I would say it's still, um, at the end of the day, it's still golf. And I think the more, um, the more, you know, we're playing, we're competing against the guys that we are now. Um, yeah. everybody's really, really, really good. Everybody's got a ton of talent. They believe they can do it. Um, and it's cool to see because nobody, you know, when, when you're teamed up against some of these guys, um, nobody really, nobody really cares what you've done. And it's just, you, you know, you're head to head, um, and anybody can win on any given day. Um, so obviously having that in, in my, in my past helps, helps my confidence, helps me to believe that I can do it and I have done it. Um, but you know, even from last week, Caleb, like unbelievable player, extremely accomplished. He's done a lot of great things. Like, kind of head to head, like, you know, the past doesn't, doesn't really, yeah. um, doesn't really do much for us, you know, and, and even for this week, like everybody starts at zero. Um, but, but yeah, like the confidence from, from the past helps a lot, but, um, even going into to college golf, you know, it helps to be, you know, the top of your class or the top in your area, but everybody in, in college and D one sports, like they are the top of their area. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's cool to see, and it's cool to see that that level kind of um, progress and, and to compete against those guys is, is an honor. That's a great point, too, because when you go to college golf, you got seniors on that team. Oh, yeah. They don't care what no. you No. Don't care at all. They're looking at you like, you know, yes, we want the team to succeed. We want you to come in and be a factor right away, which you were. You want it linger longer, which is really a strong field in that, that spring uh, spring schedule at Reynolds Lake Oconee. But they're looking to like, hey, what can you do to help this team? Absolutely. And then also, you know, selfishly, like, hey, this is a guy that could take my spot. Yeah. If he earns it, cool. But I want to be in the starting lineup too. Um, exactly. So talk briefly just about your freshman season with the guys in the team. you got Cave. you got Grizz, who's another incoming freshman. Yeah. Um, Cannon Clakeham, who... I don't know why I think this, but it feels like he's been there forever. Yeah. Um, Maybe he has. Cannon, uh, well, he, he, he came early. Um, I think his senior year of high school, he started that early semester and, and uh, kind of got hosed over with COVID. But um, with that being said, yeah, you know, coming in, those guys were were a big influence on me. Um, it kind of pointed me in the right direction, Cannon especially. Um, 
showing me, you know, what to do, you know, kind of what college golf is, um, what needs to be done, what's expected. Um, and, and to kind of have that as someone to point me in the right direction, helped me a lot. Um, adjusting cause it, it is a big adjustment period and kind of, you know, kind of when you get first get thrown into it cause yeah. golf starts pretty quick. Yeah. Um, especially I, I played in that USAM at Ridgewood, I believe last year, last year, I yep. believe. Um, so, you know, you get in, you're moved in and school starts like a day and a half later. Um, and then, you know, practice and qualifying starts a week later. So on top of, you know, getting your schedules, classes, trying to figure out where all that is, you know, gym schedules, golf starting on top of that. It's a lot. Um, and, and they like you to go to class. And yeah, they do. They do. It's, it's quite, yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of frowned upon to, to miss those. Um, but yeah, just trying to get a schedule and, and to stick to that and to find something comfortable um, to be able to play your best golf. Um, I would say those guys help me a lot more than um, than they hurt me, and, and they welcome me with open arms, which is yeah. nice. I need to get him on the podcast, but yeah, uh, yeah we need to make that happen. But before, um, we're going to talk about the Northeast Dam, but we're going to go a little bit out of uh, chronological order here. But you mentioned Cannon Claycomb. Uh, on social media, there is a clip of him <laughs> appar- frog apparently <laughs> in the final round of the Northeast Amateur I can't remember who he's playing. Oh, he's playing with Wells Williams. Wells, yeah, yeah. Those two Also, get- also, all- yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's just... Yeah, that fits. Yeah, exactly. It could have been Wells doing it and Cannon with the camera. doesn't matter. Apparently, Cannon Claycomb decided to get down and reach into a pond at Wanamoiset and pull out a frog. Yeah. Um, On-brand behavior? Oh, 100%. Is there 100%. any story you can share that's even that rivals that, that it wasn't out of course in an elite amateur golf tournament? Um... That's a good question, actually. Um, I'm sure as soon as we're done recording, you're going to come up with nine different examples yeah, of that. Um, I, yeah, I, I'd say I, I, I might have some stories that probably shouldn't be shared on that's here. A, that's at the way back. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, but no, that that is a hundred percent on brand for you. Got to expect the unexpected with Canon. Not, um, not. So this is not a surprise. No, no, once. not at all. It actually, uh, it, it made me laugh when I saw it, but. Um, but no, he, he's one, you know, he's going to bring his fishing pole to every event. Like, um, and we actually, we get along really well in that manner. Um, but no, he's a good dude, but you gotta, yeah, he, he's got a crazy side to him. What's the best fishing spot in amateur golf or college golf? I'd say probably Mossy Oak. Okay. Um, you just have to watch out for the snakes. I yeah. Think you're, you're probably small gonna, detail. Sure. I think you're probably going to see more snakes than probably catch fish, um, at that one, especially during that time of the year. But, um. Say we we stayed on those cottages. I think right off. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Mississippi State's tournament. Mississippi at, State's event, right? It's Mossy Oak, and then there's another course. Can't remember the name of it, but I think they're like sister courses or brother courses or whatever. But we stayed on cottages on that golf course. Um, God, I should know the name of it, but and uh, we fished on I think the 18th in the first hole. They've got a big pond that's connected that um, is supposedly fairly good. Um, all right, so you and Cannon were All-Americans this year. Who is potentially the All-Americans as far as fishing goes in the SEC? you got to put your team together. You're going on a fishing trip. He Cannon's definitely he's probably okay. going to be the captain. Okay. Um, captain, captain yeah, the Cannon's team. the captain. Um, I think Seraph fishes a little bit as well. Um, I think Bryce fishes, uh, Lewis at, at Tennessee. Um, obviously Wells, um, you got to bring Wells just because you have to, yeah, you have to, um, let's see who else fishes. Um, Trollio's got to be, I say Trollio, yeah, with LSU, he's got, he's got a fish. Um, 
I think I want to say Grizz fishes a little bit, and then you have JP, obviously. Um, that guy. Yeah, he's hunter, fisher, everything. Um, I feel like golf is probably like, and this is not any sort of comment about his golfing ability, but I feel that that's probably like the the fourth thing he does in life. Correct. Okay. Correct. Yeah, I, I actually uh, I was able to go down um, him and his family. They've got a cool little spot. Um, I want to say it's in Montgomery or close to. Um, they've got a cool little ranch. Um, yeah. Uh, with, uh, I've actually got a high fence down there with, I'm not sure if you know anything about hunting, but they've got probably 20 different species of animals, whether it's deer to like antelope, so you name it, it's down there. Um, and a cool little fishing spot as well. So for him, I would say, um, he's got some other stuff besides golf, but he's also uh, very, very good at golf. Yes, he is. Yes, he is. Well, we are here at Pinehurst and getting ready for the North and South, but uh, let's talk a little bit about the Northeast Amateur. This is your first time playing, mm-hmm. and if I remember right, you weren't entirely sure you were going to go. Was it no. a schedule thing or just like, because again, like talking about college, you guys get done, uh, you know, Alabama wins regionals, you go to the national championship, you're done around June 1st, and you guys are basically just burnt. I mean, yeah. conference, regional, nationals, and it's High stress golf. Exactly. So um, you guys are burnt. So when were you setting up your summer schedule? Yeah. You know, first of all, the plans got a little uh, hectic after for qualifying for LA. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're going to play in your second consecutive US Open. We forgot to, we'll get to that too. Um, yeah. So obviously, um, haven't gotten to play Sunny Hana the last two years, which there's been a, a fortunately good reason for that. But um, for LA, I, I wasn't, you know, there's a lot of stress goes into that week. It's a long week, whether it's just practice rounds, preparation leading up for it. Um, so I wasn't planning on playing the Northeast Am. Um, I didn't play the year before either due to an injury. I think I only played three events. I think I played the open, the junior and the am. That's okay. all, all I played that year. Yeah. Um, and there was kind of an opportunity. Uh, my parents wanted to fly home, I think Saturday, which, you know, from East to West coast, as you know, it's an all day thing. Yeah. Um, and they wanted to stay, and then I was going to fly out that night to Rhode Island. Like that didn't really make sense. Like if I can just figure out a way to get from LA to to Rhode Island in a day, I'm gonna. I was going to try to do that. Um, and it turned out, you know, last second booked a flight, um, figured out, <laughs> drive uh, uh, Mr. Tuttle's car around for the week, um, and that it all kind of fell into place. And um, fortunately, glad it did. Yeah. So. Um- we glossed over the fact that you, uh, obviously you got into the U S open in 2022 after winning us juniors. So didn't have to go through qualifying this year. You qualify, um, you shoot uh, 68, 68, you get through at, you get through at, um, Brookside Columbus, and Columbus, Ohio, Columbus, which is, Ohio. and that's a qualifier where you have a lot of professionals there. Mm-hmm. So, um, qualifying for us open versus being exempt. How much different of a player were you from year to year? Absolutely. It's not, I wouldn't say so much as a, as a player, obviously got better and and more mentally prepared for that week, although I didn't play that much different. Um, but there was a sense of feeling like I belong there this, this go around. Cause I feel like, you know, obviously, you know, the juniors are great accomplishment, but, um, you're still playing against juniors against the best players in the world. So, I felt like this year I, I, had, I had earned my spot. I played against uh, in Columbus's, I think, one of the stronger sites yeah. um, after the Memorial, um, and even in my in my uh, in the playoff was Lucas Glover, who's a, a past Open champion or yes. U.S. Open champion, and and Kevin Streelman, um, also a good player. But just to kind of do that and to get through that field 
um, gave me that much more, um, of a sense of belonging, um, at this year's U S open. Um, and yeah, I, I really didn't play that bad to be honest with you. I just drove it a little crooked and, and at U S opens, you drive it crooked. It's going to be going to be a long week, especially with that Bermuda rough out there. I think multiple times I had, I think I drove it I think the 14th hole par five. I drove it, you know, two and a half feet in the left rough and immediately grabbed a sand wedge. And let me just hit this 50 yards back out in the fairway. Yep. Um, but no, absolutely. Um, you know, like, like I said, getting through that. Um, yeah. As, and, as, and also it's a course where they don't have a lot, they, you know, they haven't had to go open there. So you have no mm-hmm. frame of reference. You no. can't go on YouTube. You can't talk to anyone. Mm-hmm. You're going in pretty blind and trying yep. to figure that place out. You yep. get, you get to, you make the trip to want to moist it. You're talking to Stuart Haggis down in the putting green during the practice round. And then you find out, Oh, playing with him. Yeah. We're, we're paired together. Yeah. So this is a great opportunity for you. Obviously you're playing in the Northeast, but you're trying to figure out also your, um, you know, this is a great resource to have for two days. What do you see at his game that, and also what do you learn from him in two days that potentially helps you not just for that tournament, but also setting your rest of your summer schedule yeah. or, yeah. Yeah. So I met Stuart. Um, I want to say it was Brookline at, at my first U S open. And obviously, um, a little starstruck at that one. Um, you get out there. I, I played a practice round with Colin, and I've never in my life seen so many people in, in one place. Um, but yeah, you know, he he pulled me aside after I think Tuesday or Wednesday and talked to me a little bit and calmed me down. And just to kind of hear some of his his insight and his words, you know, he's been there. I don't know how many U.S. Opens he's played in six, seven, however many it's been. Um, but he's had a lot of success um, through those kind of stages. And um, like I said, to hear those words calm me down a little bit, but. Um, but yeah, I, I think I, I saw him maybe at a USAM at Ridgewood. And then obviously this week we got to catch up a little bit on the putting green. Um, talked about his golf course at LACC. He's a member out there. Yeah. That, that um, must've been a fun conversation yeah. as, a, as a debrief after the U S open. That's yeah. a whole other conversation. There. Yeah. Um, but no, and, uh, talked about the Walker cup a little bit, um, at, at St. Andrews this year. Um, but yeah, and, and then to, to play with him and um, like I obviously said, he's won two mid-AMs. He's had so much success. Um, and to kind of see how he navigates his, his way around, you know, he never, um, he didn't have his best stuff, even though he finished probably with 15, 20 or something like yeah. that. Um, but he never, he never pressed. He never once hit the panic button, even when he wasn't playing well. You know, he's one or two over. He just kind of cruises along. He makes a putt, hits a good iron shot, and all of a sudden he's back to, to under par. Um, and to see somebody like that, which, um, I think now you can, you can call him a, a veteran. Um, yeah. he, that, lo- he loves that veteran. Mr. Haggis said, I think yeah. is what he prefers to go yeah, by. He, he, uh, yeah, like, like I said, just to, just to kind of see how he navigated his way around, um, one of Moisset, which, um, a little bit different. Um, I wouldn't necessarily call it quirky, but I think there needs to be some creativity when playing there. You can't necessarily hit driver with some of the pins they had out there. Um, and to see how he, uh, how he played some of the, some of the holes out there, um, whether he played him aggressive or conservative, um, and kind of asking him how, you know, how or why he did that mm-hmm. was a little interesting to me. But yeah. Your scores progressively got better leading into the final round 68, 67, 63 in round three, which really kind of sets you up for that final pairing with, uh, Caleb and you were down three heading into that. And I followed a lot on the back nine as you guys were making the move and the rain had kind of pushed out. You guys, I think for the most part, you guys had pretty clear skies. I don't think you had too much rain when you guys were out there playing. Um, 
you had a lot of really good birdie looks on the back nine and just could not seemingly convert. Uh, and, and really, it became match play for the yeah. most part in that back nine. So this is something just for juniors to listen to or parents of juniors or just really any other players. How do you stay patient when basically you know it's a match play situation? It's you and Caleb at that point. How do you stay patient when the putts just aren't dropping? Yeah. Um, you know, I would say from the past, um, and, and like I said, no knock to Caleb at all. Like I said, he's um, arguably playing one of the best of anybody right now. Mm-hmm. But I know how hard it is to win. It's really hard. Um, and you never know what's going to happen. And I just knew if I kept kind of playing my game, I, I figured out the driver late in the second round. Um kind of steered away from that the first two days, to be honest with you, which didn't allow me the birdie chances that I had the last two days. Um, kind of found that, gained some confidence with it and stuck with it and, and you know, hit driver more than I did the, the first two days, um, which led us some wedges, led us some more birdie looks. And um, like I said, he I think he was up four with seven to play, but I mean, that's, it's two swings. Yeah. It really is. Four, and 14 was really kind of the, the pivotal change. Was, drivable, yeah. drivable par four. Um, you had, you had the honor, didn't you? I did. So drivable par four, you knock it on. Yeah, that's right. So drivable par four, water right, hazard right. And you basically, for the most part, flat right over the pin and you're on the back fringe. His drive goes right, finds the hazard. He, uh, really actually gives himself a good chance to, to save par. Um, but six uh, feet or seven feet, some of that. Yeah. So, so make it, make a swing there. Uh, he makes bogey, you two, two putt for birdie. And all of a sudden you guys are, it's a, it's a ball game. Yeah. Got a ball all, game. All square four to play. Um, and I think Clanton at that point was only two back, I think. two or Yeah. Three back. Yeah. He was, he was in the mix. Um, um, he finished. So yeah, Clanton finished actually. I, I think he, I think he made a bogey coming in. He did. Yeah. Made it, um, not seem as close as it was, but he was, um, I was still trying to figure out coming down the stretch where he was at as well. Cause I, you know, obviously Caleb, but I think, you know, Luke was only one or two back and can't really, he's, he's always a great player. Can't, can't, can't count him yeah. out. So, um, but yeah, same thing, you know, I think 15 played difficult. Um, I think it was like two Oh five and off the left, um, kind of middle right pin can't really miss. Right. Um, and yeah, he, Caleb made a great putt for par there, um, which I think settled him down. Um, but yeah, just coming in, just trying to execute the shots at hand. Um, I think that's it's easy to start playing against your opponent. I would say coming down the stretch like that, but you know, with four holes to play um, and all square, if you just try to execute the shots at hand, you know, I think the last hole is when it starts. You know, the last hole or two is when you can start going like, okay, like where is he, and you can start playing against him per se. Yeah. Um, but still, with that much golf left, you know, four or five holes is still you know hit in the fairway, execute the shot at hand, try to make a putt. 18th hole, you guys are tied. It's a dogleg left par four. You both hit great drives, pretty much cut the corner. And I know you you make this 20-footer for birdie, and and that really clinches it. But another question I want to ask you about just dealing with the pressure and knowing your body, for lack of better terms, what club did you have in for that approach into 18? Because that pin was back. Mm -hmm. And you got the Go adrenaline. Right after it, yeah. yeah, you got the adrenaline going. And if you go deep, you're there's Bogey, yeah. You're, yeah. So um, walk me through that for people listening that maybe think, oh, he just hit driver and a flip wedge. There are no flip anything in that situation. No. Uh, so I actually it was funny. Uh so Stuart on eighteen, it's a weird little holds, dog like left, 
wind off the left. Well, I don't really like hitting driver with one off the left. It's just, I will. I just don't like to, because I'm a fader. I feel like I'm going to overfade it. Um, so I think a lot of, I think I'm one of the only people that didn't hit driver on 18. I was hitting three iron most of the time or three wood and just kind of playing as like, you know what? I'm gonna have a mid iron to mm -hmm. long iron and I'll deal with it. Um, so I hit three wood Wind was pretty good in off the left hit three and kind of turned it back into it and Caleb hit driver. Um, he kind of caught one spinny kind of floated on him. Um, but yeah, he hit one probably, you know, 45, 50 feet left. And I had this give a quick little shout to foresight golf. I'm working with them. Sure. Um, I was using the TrackMan early on in the week, and for whatever reason, my 7-iron wasn't going as far. I don't know why. I normally hit my 7-iron 197, 198 stock. Whatever, it was going like 90, 91. And I was hitting this cool little, like, flighted cut that was comfortably flying 180. I was doing it pretty much every time in, in the practice round. And I had 170 back pin and off the right. Um, I think I had 65 gets up on top. There's a little plateau. Gets mm -hmm. up on top of the plateau. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm like, it's either like, you know, kind of on hard eight and I can kind of back foot it and hit it middle of green. You know, I, I knew Caleb had a hard two, putt, um, or I could hit this little seven iron. I'm like, you know what? I've hit this, you know, I know exactly how far it's going to go. It's 180 yard shot. If I just hit this, it's going to be perfect. Um, and you know, I kind of knew, especially exactly when it came off, I'm like, that was, it was perfect. Kind of held it right up against the wind. It was right at it. Um, and, uh, but yeah, just knowing, um, as far as the pressure situation, um, the ball goes further, obviously. Um, everything about your routine speeds up. you got to walk slower, think slower. Um, and it's, you know, from past failures is, is how you learn that. Um, you don't really learn um, from last week from your successes. You know, obviously, I've been in situations where I haven't been able to pull it off or hit a bad shot or I rushed it. or And those are the, the moments that you can learn something from. Um so that's saying I had, you know, I had 180, but I was actually trying to hit that 175. Right. Cause you knew the adrenaline would get you. just going to go a little bit further. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually, I choked down a little bit more than I had been on that. Um, and, and it actually came out, it probably actually went a little bit further than 180. Um, it cause was, it was pretty much back, back fringe. It went to the back edge. Yeah. I think I flew it maybe a foot and two feet behind the hole or something like that. Um, and then trickled to the back edge and it, it ended up being a great look at it, but. You, you make this 20-foot birdie, uh, fist pump, roar. You were not the only one in the picture uh, yeah. that I took that had a fist pump uh, yeah. and a roar. Uh, uh, let's talk about uh, your caddy for the week, local kid. Let's give this, I mean, Liam, yeah. the more the most popular caddy at Wanamoisa right now. So talking about who, who was on the back for you. Yeah, his name was Liam. I met him. Um, he wanted to come out and walk with me. Um, first of all, came, came up, introduced himself. I had no idea who was caddy for me. I just knew his name was Liam. And it was actually Nick Gross said, he's like, hey, like, I think you've got a little 14 or 15-year-old kid caddy for you. I'm like, sweet. Like, I've never had that before. I normally have, you know, just a member at the course. Right, and, right. Okay. Like, this could be fun, like, you know, yeah. for learning experience for both of us. Um, and he came up and introduced himself after I played nine holes, like Sunday, maybe. It was the day before the, the AM-AM. And uh, came up and introduced himself. He's like, hey, you know, I want to walk with you. You know, I, I want to try to learn your game a little bit. I'm like, perfect. So he came out, walked the AM-AM with me, kind of learned who he was, uh, plays golf, member out there. Um, but yeah, he was, he was my little hype man all week. Um, <laughs> super, really positive kid, um, which helped me a lot. Um, knew the greens pretty well, actually. Um, and yeah, he was cool, you know, in the last putt. He's like, yeah, I got this going left to right. I'm like, perfect. I, I had this divot pointed out. Um, I didn't know exactly where I wanted to play it per se. I just knew if I got it 
two, if I got it on the left edge of this divot, it was going to funnel down and go right in the hole. I right. The, the last 10 feet, I knew exactly what it was doing. Um, and he actually saw the same thing. And, and I, I think I took an early step, but as soon as it kind of crested the corner of that divot, I'm like, I think that has a pretty good chance of going in. So that's uh, that's cool to have him as excited for you. Yeah, and, I, and he was, like I said, he was pumped. Um, and yeah, you know, just to have that, um, well, that's kind of something, the vibe. Yeah. Something different, like, and I really enjoyed it. Yeah. Well, that's good because that I think those kids, they, I mean, Northeast, Sunahanna, a lot of these tournaments, I mean, these kids come out and they're, I mean, they want to be part of the team. Yeah, they're they're absolutely. not, yeah, they, that's awesome. And, uh, and I'm sure if you get the call about the member guest, I mean, you gotta, yeah, I know. yeah, it's going to need to work that out. It was, yeah, it's something cool. You know, it's, it was a weird situation for me because I still see myself as a, a, a junior player. Like I don't. I'm not that far away from where that kid was. I think he's 16 years old. Yeah. I remember that. I remember not being able to drive a cart like it was yesterday. I had to walk around. Um, and to hear, like, yeah, like he, he sat down and he asked me a ton of questions about, you know, like you just said, pressure, like how to deal with it. How do I keep my game on a week-to-week basis where I can't practice? He was asking questions that um, – you know, and like if you're, if putting goes into a dark hole, which obviously if you play golf, it's going to happen right. eventually. Um, you know, how do, how do I get out of that? What drills do I do? Like, what do I think about? It's like some questions that kind of stumped me a little bit. Um, and wow. yeah, like, like I said, it was just really cool to see, um, to see how much he cared and, and also how much he cared to see, um, how I performed. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I need to keep, uh, keep an eye on that kid. Yeah. Liam, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, we're going to, uh, get ready here for this North and South amateur and, um, talk a little bit about just the rest of your summer. Obviously we have USAM coming up. There's a lot of other implications with the elite amateur golf series. Um, how does your summer look? And, and again, with what is attached to this elite amateur golf series exemptions, um, getting you immediately through to final qualifying and just, you know, for the next year's US Open, there's a lot on the line. How does the rest of your summer look, uh, in relates to these tournaments? So the first time I heard that got into the final qualifying. Um, well, let me break it down for you really quick. The top five in the Elite Amateur Golf Series this year, will all five will get uh, Corn Ferry Tour exemptions. It will be in descending order. So if you finish first, you get the first pick uh, of one. Uh, I believe the top two will get a PGA Tour start. I think awesome. last year Caleb was at the Bermuda event. Bermuda, yeah. And, Yuri was, and, yeah, and Yuri was at um, Puerto Rico. Yuri Zisco was number two. He got to Puerto Rico. You get exempted to final qualifying for the U.S. Open 2024. Uh, final, so you move which past. Which is also here. Which is all, yep, so you get that. Let's see. Um, exempted to the USAM. I don't think you're going to need to worry about that for this year. Uh, what else you get? Um, probably get you a hat. Probably, I mean, there's a lot. Yeah, you know, probably, probably some more things. But, yeah, um, it's really neat. And it's really neat what the Elite Am Series is doing for us. It's just giving us more opportunities to, to showcase. Um, and, obviously, you see, you know, Adrian and, and Ricky and yeah. Ludwig like doing some really cool things right out of college. Um, and I think it shows that, um, that the juniors and not, not so much juniors, but juniors and amateurs can compete on these, on these levels. Um, and you know, we, you know, we, we have a lot of game and, um, some of these, um, circumstances and experiences that we have as college, like they translate. Um, and like I said, I think that's being showcased quickly. But yeah, you know, just to to have that, I'm not exactly sure. I'm signed up for Transmiss and Southern, so I get a week off in between this. Um, I'm not going to go to Pat Coast. 
Um, that's a lot. I think I may try to go out to Carlsbad and work with some of the TaylorMade guys maybe for the week. Um, maybe take a chill, maybe, you know, go down to the beach for a couple of days, hang out. Love it. Um, I'll be busy, but I appreciate the invite. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, a little bit of a uh, little bit, maybe a chill weekend. Um, cause it, it is a lot traveling week to week. It's a lot of, you know, high stress pressure. Um, you gotta have a little bit of a, a reset. Body um, needs a break. Yeah. Um, and then, um, obviously Western and USAM and that's a lot of golf. And, and like I said before, you know, that kicks directly into college. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of guys go ex directly from the USAM to college. Um, so I would say, you know, those, those rest weeks are, are big for me. Um, yeah, especially rehab, um, on my wrist and in my body and making sure my body's a hundred percent like this week didn't play yesterday, just kind of rode around number four. I think I'm going to play nine today and then and ride around. Um, I've learned that does more for me than playing 18 and, and feeling like I know the golf course better. Um, for me, it's more making sure my body's in a place that I can perform at, at my best. Yeah. And you know, there is, like you said, I mean, you have to protect your body and then at your level and a lot of these guys, you know, you hit a few shots out of the rough, chip around the greens. I mean, yeah. Wanamoisit and Pinehurst, completely different. And L.A. And L.A., different. yeah, 100% yeah. different. D different grasses, different topography, different everything. Mm -hmm. But you don't need to play every single hole and hit mm -hmm. 50 shots. You just, nope. yeah. Nope. Um, well, Especially let's, not when it's 96 yeah, degrees out here. It's so hot. I have seen, uh, so this is my fourth consecutive week on the road. I went Dogwood, Sunnyhanna, Northeast, Pinehurst. None of them have been remotely close no. and so similar. And, yeah. yeah. So, it's, yeah, Pinehurst in the summer is just different. Um, and that's another thing hydrating, drinking, you know. I started late at, at Northeast, um, but drinking two, three waters before you go to bed at night, just trying to prepare for, for this week. Um, I was dehydrated once, almost fell out at Sawgrass in a junior event, and that won't happen again. I remember Reed Davenport from Vanderbilt saying four, three or four days before heading out to the Nationals at Greyhawk, got they to were start. All, already yeah. got started. Got to start. Um, they were uh, our nutrition and, and, and staff at Alabama helped us this year with that. But same thing, we started a few days before. You know, those nights in between rounds are, are crucial with hydrating and, and making sure your body's in a place. Because you don't really feel it out there at Greyhawk. No. it's. I mean, it's 95. I don't think it ever got below 90 degrees out there. But it doesn't feel like you're not sweating. You're not it's, sweating. It's the weirdest thing ever. That was it's hard to drink water because you're not sweating. And uh, yeah, once you once you feel it, it's too late. Yep. Yep. That was the, my first uh, experience with Greyhawk two two years ago. Um, I'm drinking 13 bottles of water a day. Yeah. I'm not sweating because I'm a gallon of water. Yeah. Right, and we're both <clears throat> southeastern people, you know. Yeah. So yeah, we're both. Um, you know, you're Alabama. I'm Florida. We're used to sweating buckets. Used to be drenched. Yeah. Right. And you go out there and like, okay, is my body shutting down? I'm yeah. like, yeah. yeah, it's different. All right. What's one place that we need to hit at Pinehurst at some point this week for for lunch or for what are what are some spots you got to check out before you get out of here? Charbar. Charbar. Charbar number seven. Um, it's right on the corner. Um, I'm trying to think exactly where it is, but I mean it's less than five minutes from the golf course um uh, i know the owner fairly well and i've been i've been eating there I, I think i ate there pretty much every meal last year um they got everything it's a cool vibe um and yeah that's i think i'm gonna go there here in a bit but love it yeah that's that's one spot um i would definitely check out if you have it well let's uh let's get you out of here so you can go prep for the north uh, north and south amateur um glad you're able to stop by the back of the range great success and uh 
let's see what you do it here at Pinehurst and appreciate you stopping by the back of the range. Thank you so much. And there you have it. Special thanks to Bob Ward at the Rhode Island Golf Association and the new champion of the Northeast Amateur, Nick Dunlap. Both of them joined me this week here at the back of the range. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Not just the back of the range, but also the Elite Amateur Golf Series. I'll see you next week after the conclusion of the North and South Amateur, right here at the back of the range. <laughs>